This is Permission for Pleasure, and I'm your host, Cindy Sharkey. As a registered nurse and educator for over 30 years, I've seen the real need to break the silence surrounding sex, especially for women. This podcast is about opening the doors to healthy conversations about sex. What I've found is that when women have comprehensive education about sex, their self-confidence soars. And when that happens, women can truly express experience and enjoy their sexuality. They give themselves permission for pleasure. Welcome to Permission for Pleasure. I'm Cindy Sharkey, your host. Thank you for listening and being part of our community here This episode is about mental load or invisible labor, so to speak, and we carry this around in our heads. And if you're thinking, what does that have to do with a sex podcast? It actually has a lot to do, a lot to do with it. And you've heard me and my guests talk about mindfulness, about uh, staying present in the moment during sex to enjoy the pleasures and to quiet our busy minds, be present in our bodies, all these good things. Well, the truth is for a lot of women, a lot of people in general, but a lot of women, the chatter in their brains is often what holds us back from being able to do this. And I think a lot of that has to do with mental load. So it's a burden. And I and the research, my friends, is very clear about mental load and its effects on desire. Desire for anything, really, but especially for desire for sex. So today, my guest is Dr. Morgan Cutlip, and she is a relationship consultant and an advisor. She directs research development at Love Thinks. She has an entire course called The Mother Load, all about this topic, and she just seemed like the perfect guest to share with us on this topic. So, Morgan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I value what you do, and you were on my Instagram recently and just gave so much quality content and information, so I'm excited to sit with you today and and talk about this. Yeah, great. I love how you kind of introduced the concept, too, because I've done a lot of uh, podcast on this particular topic, but approaching the mental load from the standpoint of it affects your sex life, that is a new way to get into it. And I love that because I think that's such a big missing piece when couples talk about the mental load. It almost is like this compartmentalized issue. You know, if, you know, I just need my partner to help me more with responsibilities, to do more around the home, to do these, but, but it's not compartmentalized because that's not how relationships work. When you have somebody in the relationship who feels like things are really unfair, that's going to affect feelings of resentment and frustration and bitterness towards your partner and who wants to have sex when you resent your partner and then the other piece is what you're talking about too which is the mental load is it's or the invisible labor it's called a number of things but it's like a running to-do list of all of the things that we're just carrying around in our minds and it takes up space and it causes stress those two pieces, as I'm sure you've talked about many times, just how desire works, those two pieces slam on the brakes like no other. And so I, I just really like how you got into the topic. It's a completely new new way into it, and it's an important one. 
Yes. Let's backtrack a little bit, Morgan, and just give us more about what this is, what it looks like tangibly, some examples. Totally. So so I'll just define it again and I'll get specific. So the mental load is this invisible like list of to-dos that we carry around in our mind. And it involves many different categories of things. So things like researching topics as a moms, especially we know like how much time do we spend Googling the toxins in our children's body wash or things like that, right? Which researching preschools or daycares or bottles and, you know, it's just nonstop. So the researching, um, the emotional labor, I think it's something that mostly women are the ones who take care of. This is something like, oh, you know, our son is at school and he says he's getting bullied. And so this kind of worry work that we do, um, thinking about uh, the people we're in relationship with and then figuring out how do we want to manage that. That's a whole nother piece of it. Um, You know, the organizing of life, of the home, you know, we play like a stalker, right? We're running out of toilet paper, of... Uh, olive oil of all the you know we're kind of keeping these things in our minds that takes up a lot of space and one of the defining features of the mental load is that it's usually invisible Uh, a lot of what we do is behind the scenes and so what becomes really tricky for couples especially for women is when they are kind of reach their max they are like how do I even convey what this is to my partner because they don't get it I even think of dumb things like um, we have blankets on our couch, okay, and pillows. And I cannot tell you how many times a day I walk past that couch and I straighten those pillows and I fold those blankets. It's like all these magical things that just happen in a home that usually, research shows us, I'm not trying to just stereotype here, but usually it's us women who are the ones making these magical things happen and keeping track of them in our minds. Wow. Okay. This, this could not, this could be anybody, you know, it could be either person in the relationship, certainly, but I think the research is in the studies like that I've looked at and you've mentioned like on your website is it's overwhelmingly women and especially moms. But I'm even thinking for myself, like I'm an empty nester, right? But I still, I still am the one who does a lot of vacation. Like if we're going to have our whole family on vacation, like I'm, I plan the food, I plan the, you know, because this, that's the designation of, of, of time that we've chosen, you know, my husband and I. But it's interesting because I'm thinking back to the days when I was more your age, Morgan, or listeners, you all younger, women not really recognizing all of that invisible load that was in my mind and not and and not really even being able to articulate it all yes I mean I discovered the term a few years ago it's been around a little while and I think that like there was something that just clicked for me when I heard the term because it's just what you're saying I think that the mental load is something that a lot of us feel like, gosh, why do we feel like you can almost like think of it like a spinning, like a spinning or like a my father-in-law used to say, there goes my mother-in-law's name is Cindy. There goes Cindy swirling around the house. She doesn't sit down. And I'm like, it's the mental load, man. You don't get it. But it's like we feel it. This like spinning feeling of like you're hustling from one thing to the next, ticking off these to do's in your mind. And so for me, when I heard the term, I was like, oh, my God 
gosh, just that term was helpful. It defined, a, I think, a, almost a universal experience for a lot of women and especially for moms. We can talk about what changes after you become a mom. but um, And there was something that felt like a relief about having a definition around this like really intense experience um, that can make you feel really frustrated sometimes and really overwhelmed. And so quite honestly, I sucked at managing the mental load in my relationship, especially after kids. I was terrible at it. I'm raising my hand. I'm with you, you know. I was terrible. When our kids were, um, I think our daughter was maybe five and our son was, I guess, two and a half was one of the first times I really said to my husband, just take them like just I need a minute and it was the first time I didn't pack the bag you know the diaper bag didn't pack the snacks I didn't you know I didn't do everything for him and I have a husband who's willing to jump in anytime I want he's a there's no resistance there um, but I just was prof- a professional at doing it all myself and I just reached my limit and so when I heard that term I was like, oh, I want to learn everything I can about this. And I want to try to work on coming up with practical things women especially can do to help themselves in this area because I felt it so intensely and it, it was major for me. Well, I think it's major for many people. And I'm just, I'm thinking back to the early days when I had my first baby. I mean, we're talking 30 years ago now. So one of the pieces of advice I got was let your husband take care of the baby the way he takes care of the baby. It's not going to look like the way you take care of the baby. And granted, I'm a nurse too, so I have all the all that going, right? Uh, I just tried to always remember that because he did a great job taking care of the baby, but it, it wasn't the way I did, right? But the baby was safe and taken care of. It just didn't look like the way I did it. And I have always remembered that and tried to pass that along. And I think... Some of that comes into play here. What do you think about that? Yes, I have a lot of things I think about that. So I think, number one, you got great advice. So a lot of women find themselves kind of really far into this. And then they're like, great, I need to kind of backtrack to try to undo some of this stuff. So part of the undoing is really taking that message to heart. And so we can talk more about the specifics on this one. But when you start to hand over parts of the mental load, when you're redistributing responsibilities and who does what in the home, there are things that you as an individual have to manage so that you allow space for your partner to step up. I'll just tell you, I have five behaviors that backfire that I talk about. One is the micromanaging, right? It's like, hey, will you pack the kids' lunches? And you're like, what are you? Don't do it like that. Cut them like this. Do this. You Too much sugar, too much fruit, right? We're kind of getting in their business. Keeping score is another one. They finally step up and the response is, thanks, but you know, that's kind of like a drop in the bucket compared to what I do. Criticizing is a third, which looks like, hey, will you get the kids dressed? What the heck are the kids wearing? It's another one. Four is um, personalization. Now, this is a big one. This is um, when our partner maybe doesn't follow through on a particular thing and we make it very much about us. Um, You don't respect me. You don't care about how I try to keep the house clean. We make it this kind of big personal thing when usually usually it's not. Sometimes it is. Usually it's not. And then the last one is impatience. I hear this all the time. Will you take the trash out? Ugh, I'll do it myself. 
recently I did um a, a, it's like called a pod on this app called peanut which is just for moms and somebody told a story where they handed off the trash taking out of the trash to their partner and their partner wasn't doing it and so she said and she goes one day he walks in and there is a pile of garbage and he's like it stinks in here she goes yeah because you said you were going to take out the trash, so I've trusted you to do that. There was no hostility, no nastiness, but she sort of um, refused to give in to her own impatience. And so these are some of the things that I think can get in the way when we're trying to hand off part of the mental load. And so the, the antidote is what you were saying, which is give your partner some space, right, to find their own way and to figure it out. Um, sometimes they do things better than we do. And it can take us by surprise, but we got to give them the opportunity. I think another way to think about it is like if it's packing lunches, you know, how many days are there in the school year? If you multiply that by how many kids you have, if you just quantify it, it's a lot of times. And so when you ask your partner to step in there that very first time, you have had way more practice than them. So give them a minute. So then there's a second piece, which, you know, the, it's been labeled, what, maternal gatekeeping. But I, I think it's beyond maternal gatekeeping. But that's one, which is is basically when kids are born and enter the picture, moms kind of like to do it their own way. And so what it ends up doing is sort of blocking their partners from being able to get involved as much as they um, should uh, and as much as the moms actually need. And this can really set you up for failure down the road. I know there's been studies that have found that um, when moms make space for their partners to get involved from the very beginning, they have a much better adjustment to motherhood. I think it actually happens, though, before motherhood. So you were saying, thinking about it now as an empty nester. So I think it happens before, we'll say it happens after, right? But I talk about it as something that I've labeled, I haven't come up with a better term, so maybe there's a better one, but I call it piling on precedence. And I think this is how the mental load gets full. Early on in our relationships, we do things for our partner and our loved ones just because we love them. Like we just want to take care of them. We want to love them and we're just being nice. Uh, I think about early on in our relationship, I don't know why I did this, but I would make dinner, I would grocery shop, and then I'd be like, you relax, I'll do the dishes. What? What was I thinking? But I was just, you know, I was just being nice and probably, you know, we can talk, you know, some of the things I picked up on my own family background, right, is coming out, coming out after marriage. But, um... So before you know it, my husband wasn't getting up to do the dishes anymore. He used to, but now he wasn't. So what did I do there? I set a precedent that I would do all of those things and I essentially let him off the hook. When he saw that I would take care of it after a few times of trying to jump in and I was like, I got it, I got it. He decided that I got it. And so he stopped asking and he totally took it off his plate. And I think this happens hundreds, thousands of times potentially in our relationships. Think about um, shopping for holidays is a big one. How did that, how are we, how am I buying presents for my mother-in-law, right? Like how do we do these things that (laughs) just add up? I think that we do them one thing at a time and when we take care of it, our partner is like, awesome. I'm not going to think about that anymore. And we don't really say out loud, I'm going to do this once, but I'm not doing this forever. So we take on these tasks permanently. 
until we pile on one thing at a time until our plate is really full. Then you bring kids into the picture. And overnight, the amount of responsibilities is overwhelming. We go from a full plate to an overwhelmed plate. And that's when we start to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, okay, I, I'm thinking a lot of things. I'm thinking so many females are raised up and brought up in a this conditioned idea of being the giver and nurturer. So, and those things are not necessarily a bad or negative thing. It's just that I would say a lot of us have seen that modeled, right? Or been conditioned in a way to think everything is our responsibility and it isn't, right? And then it's, we don't have a lot of tools, I don't think, Morgan, to renegotiate this in our own relationships based on what we've seen growing up or seen in the media and so then here we are, and we only have seen one way, and we just start into it. Like you're saying, sometimes I think we don't even realize what we're doing, the way in which we're doing it. And then just your partner's response is not unusual. I mean, if we're gonna, you're going to continue to cook, shop, and, and do the dishes, then they're like, oh, well, that, I guess that, that's, not my, that's not on my plate, right? So your, your plate gets fuller, and theirs gets less, it's just it's just fascinating to think about that, you know, I hope the listeners will kind of, you know, pause a little bit and contemplate some of these tangible examples. And I want to circle back to what you said, which is the side effects of that heavy mental load are not good for the relationship. Like you mentioned resentment. Resentment is a huge desire killer. I'll tell you that. And also just that stress and overwhelm and anxiety and stress, overwhelm and anxiety are also big desire killers, right? I've heard you talk about equal versus fair. Can you can you talk to that a little bit to, to kind of circle out this, you know, flesh out this piece? Yeah. Can I say one thing before I say that? What you were saying reminded me of something. Because you're saying this sort of giver tendency that we have, but then also this piece about what we bring from our growing up experiences into our relationship. And I think it's just worth like a little bit of a line right here, which is, you know, a lot of us, we are absorbing what it looks like. We're creating whatever you want to call it. People call it different things. Scripts, templates, um, uh, narratives about what it looks like to be a partner, what it looks like to be a parent. We're just kind of absorbing these things from a young age. I mean, watch a child take care, play with like a little baby doll, right? This is them um, already having absorbed, you know, what caregivers do. And so we're learning this our entire life, but we don't really tap into what these look like. Uh, sometimes we're not even that aware of them for a long time, but they're sort of like planting seeds within us, all of these kinds of early experiences. And then there are different things in our life that provide the water and the sunshine that help these seeds to blossom. And one of them is marriage or a long-term committed partnership. You know, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, you, you become husband and wife, not just girlfriend and boyfriend. Okay. And, and there are different scripts that click in at that moment that didn't exist completely when you were dating. And so you start to kind of fall into these roles and you're like, how did we end up here? And it's just these sort of seeds have started to blossom. The other thing is introducing kids. 
Now you have these scripts about what it means to be a parent. And so I think a lot of people are like, well, we had a pretty equal distribution of things. And then kids came and it got weird. Like it got crazy. And now all of a sudden I'm doing everything. Part of it is you kind of fall into these roles that you don't always explicitly talk about. And so um, I think that, you know, it's just want to normalize that that's a common experience in, in relationships. But also, you've got to be able to explicitly talk about it, okay? I mean, I think people get really nervous talking about this sort of thing. But in your whole relationship, have you ever discussed your roles and your responsibilities? Who's, I mean, maybe if you did premarital stuff, maybe. Well, I'm laughing over here because I'm thinking it's kind of like sex. Like people don't want to communicate and talk about sex. And it's the harder things. Roles and responsibilities is a difficult topic to navigate. It's hard. But it's like you want to sit down and you want to talk about, you know, okay, we're, we're deep into this, but let's back up and say, what are your expectations of me as a as a partner to you what are your expectations of me as a parent like just have a broader conversation because that can sort of help to get all the cards on the table right um you can kind of talk about then just some issues that where you might not be meeting each other's expectations or maybe you're having an expectation that you never even talked about before that's getting in the way of things so i think that um that's an important important discussion to have and i just would urge people I mean, if this is the first time in your five, six, seven years, 10 years into your relationship, then, you know, you're due. So (laughs) Overdue. Yeah, you're not nagging this this topic. You know, maybe you're, we can talk about that too. Maybe you're not bringing it up in the best way um, in other times, but sit down and have a real conversation about your roles and responsibilities. It's probably the first one you've ever had. Equal versus fair. Let's talk about this one is big. So this kind of gets into the solutions for the mental load, kind of what you start to do about it. And I and I always like to highlight this because I see a lot of stuff out there. I mean, I'm on social media, so a lot of what I see is there. But about, you know, equality, equality, equality. Equality is fantastic. It's an ideal. But the reality of life is that um, it's not always going to work for things to be distributed equally. My husband, he travels. Like, he'll be gone for weeks at a time. Um, We're not going to have the same mental load. It's just not going to work out. And so, but what is important is that I feel and he feels that the way that we handle our responsibilities in our family is fair. Because when it feels unfair that's when you start to develop resentment and frustration and anger and that can trickle into your relationship and lead to disconnection and so I think a lot of times we got to just adjust like the goal the goal isn't for the same amount of each partner does 20 things you know that's that's crazy it has to feel good and I think it's important to remember too that while you might have different situations you and your partner that affect how you kind of handle responsibilities also there are different seasons of life Um, And also just different things that show up, you know, throughout the year, your mental load is going to be more intense around the holidays or birthday party or right or somebody gets sick. And so we have to have some flexibility there and talking about it with our partner and how it's distributed. I think another piece to that is is kind of a mantra on this podcast about all things is that, like you said, you're going to go through different seasons and stages and phases and crisis. And this sounds like another one of those conversations that needs to be revisited often. Um, 
you know, not it's not going to be a one time deal. I feel like a lot of times when I talk about relationship stuff, it does come back to that point, which is, gosh, you really need to have a regular conversation about stuff. And so um, this is no different. And for a couple of reasons that are specific, well, one specific to the mental load is that, you know, if you can schedule on your calendars, both of you, a time to come together and sit down and be like, okay, these are the things we've got coming up in the next month or two. I can do this. Can you take care of that? Or what can you do? However you want to have that conversation. It normalizes talking about these things. A lot of people are like, I don't want to... We only talk about our relationship when it sucks. like, And so that makes these conversations really scary and we avoid things that feel scary. And so it normalizes that you talk about your relationship, you talk about responsibilities and roles. This is just part of being in it. Um, You manage it just like you sit down at work and have meetings, right? Have a meeting. Number two, when you schedule it, it takes it off the woman's plate. A big part of the mental load is that we manage our relationships, And we're the ones usually who are saying, gosh, I feel like we need a date night. Gosh, I feel like we need to talk about this. And so if you can put it on the calendars, that's one thing immediately you can take off your plate. Just happens then. And talk about sex during that talk too. (laughs) Maybe one thing at a time, but it sounds like it, it sounds like setting up a time to talk about it, right? And, and then, you know, following up whenever appropriate to talk about it again and again and again, right? Because that what will happen then is then sometimes maybe something you've taken on or something you've designated and your partner's taken on, you might have to renegotiate that in a different season, right? Yes, exactly. So it's going to change the intensity of it, the seasons of life um, based on your circumstances. I mean, maybe you could handle picking up the kids from school, but then all of a sudden you have this work project that keeps you later. Okay, you got to revisit that. doesn't mean suddenly it's not, you know, working. It's just this is a part of life. Life has this way of just interrupting equilibrium and disrupting it. And so we have to keep coming back together to talk about these things. And that's totally okay. And totally normal. <laughs> well, and I think sometimes, Morgan, you know, we say, I maybe I'm speaking for myself, but it's like, you know, it's just easier for me to do it by my, it's just easier for me to do it, you know, than to, to ask one of the kids to do it or ask my partner to do it. Or, I mean, back in the day when my kids were in my home, and I'm just thinking of these young moms, like, I know that's often what I said. It's like, it's just easier for me. It's more work to delegate than it is to do it myself. Do you hear that theme? Oh, I hear that all the time. That's not just you. And I think, I mean, I even struggle with that sometimes. So I have to be almost very mindful of these moments where I'm like, am I, like lately I've been very mindful of how much I'm doing for my children. So I've been asking them to do more, which takes a hundred times as long. Um, But I'm preparing them for taking on responsibilities later in life so it's worth it to me but the way that I talk about asking because all people get so mad when you say just ask or when their partner says just tell me what you want me to do oh they get so mad because they feel like my partner should just know they should just know or like you're saying asking is harder it takes more time and takes more of my energy so I suggest we rebrand asking as involving so Remember when I was talking about that piling on of precedents? 
if we can get on board with that concept and say, okay, okay, I see myself having done that. Okay. And now we've reached a boiling point where we really can't keep continue doing everything. And, and our, and our, our like conclusion is my partner should just step in and take care of, don't they see what needs done? Whoa, whoa, whoa. If we have taken all this on invisibly and silently and without any discussion, then no, they don't see what needs done. And we got to backtrack a little bit. And it's nobody's fault. I know I don't want to like stir up like some defensiveness around. So we did this to ourselves, but it was just out of love and care, right? That we did these things without talking about. So we have to backtrack and say, when we are asking or we are instructing, we are kind of reteaching the things that need done and how we like it to be done. And the goal is, is that maybe do that a few times or maybe more than a few. I don't know. Depends on your partner you are then teaching them how to take initiative in the future. You know that every time we leave the house, we take the kids' water bottles. So instead of me going around the house and hunting them down and refilling them, I'm going to say, hey, we get the kids' water bottles and get them ready, right? That's one little thing. Um, but it starts to set kind of this expectation that this is part of our natural routine. And you can even eventually have that conversation or from the beginning, I'm going to put you in charge of this moving forward. And this is this is something we can do. I mean, we can make these kinds of changes. We can have these kinds of conversations, even if we're, you know, knee deep into into the the load being high. We can still, you know, make the invisible visible, like you say. And so we can recognize what's causing us to feel this overwhelm and resentment and, you know, discontent in the relationship and then take some of these steps you're talking about and maybe not all at once, right? Yeah. So in my course, I talk about kind of like the small sort of things that you can do. Um, And then there are like the big things. The big thing is that conversation where you write things out, you actually sit down, you schedule a time, you go over it. The little things is it's the asking. The asking is a little thing. It's a small change that you can make right now. You can just start kind of pushing yourself past your discomfort with asking and do a little bit more of that. The other is don't pile on more precedents. I don't take on anything really anymore without talking about it or even it might sound kind of annoying, but sometimes I narrate things that I'm doing. Okay, it's time for bed and everybody has to do like I'm I am using this to instruct my children on what we do when we get ready for bed, but also involve my partner. Okay, it's time to do this. You know, we're way past that. Our kids are older, but in the beginning, right? Get them involved, participate in these things. And I will not, like, I don't buy Mother's Day gifts anymore. I don't buy my mother-in-law's birthday present. She just had her birthday. He took care of that. Why? I've talked about it enough. Huh, I'm shopping for your mother-in-law. I don't understand this. Have you shopped for my (laughs) mother-in-law? My mom, my mom before no, and he's finally he said I've got this from now on. Don't even worry about it. And so, there are things with piling on precedents. Part of it is that when we did it, we did it silently, and so I don't do things silently anymore, and I don't do them in a rude or jerky way. But I talk about what I do. 
I am not the only one who's a part of this family and the functioning of it. And so I talk about what I do. And so my partner is part of that world. It's I don't want to be alone in that world. I want him to jump in and do things. And it has made a big difference. Okay, so I hear you. Let me circle back around here because she's giving you so many tips here, listeners. So talking out loud about what needs to be done or what is being done helps the family see and hear and recognize all of these usually invisible things, right? And then I love the anticipation asking or whatever you called it, because I almost want to encourage women to say, even though you may think I, I can do that. I've done it. I, it's fine. You know, I'm doing the tone. Like, in, like I, I've always done it. I, almost pick something every day or every day, other day to start with that you could give up. Maybe not even recognizing if it would really lower the load or not, but it would get you in the practice. Like, I wish I'd done this more when I was younger. In the practice of saying, you know, tomorrow this or that would you can you do this and that because I I have or not even because just would you be willing you know can you do this and that tomorrow and and then let it go like take your hands off right let, let it go even if you're in our heads we're thinking ah, it's just easier for I don't want to just they should you know all these mantras in our heads they should just know I don't want to ask I can just do it I do it better whatever it is so you're hitting on something I also talk about these mantras, I call them stories that sabotage. And I think they show up in a number of ways. I think one is that, just like you're saying, um, ugh, I've done this a million times. Why am I Why am I going to create any tension by asking my partner? And then if they don't respond well, it's going to bother me. I'm going to get more upset. Like, I'll just do it. Uh, I don't want to inconvenience them. That's one type of narrative that we tell ourselves. In the, and we'll never know if we're wrong if we don't ask. Because usually our narratives are not always accurate. And then the second kind of way we do this is we, I think, especially as as women and moms, we create these sort of impossible standards for ourselves and then these stories around them. So things like, well, a good mom doesn't need to ask for help. A good mom takes care. Or I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I don't deserve a break. This is my job. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That sort of story is going to completely sabotage you asking for help, you having these conversations with your partner. Even when you do, if you do kind of push past that and you still ask for help, then you're going to be left with guilt. And so it's important that when we talk about mental load, we're talking about what do you and your partner do, but then also what are the things you might need to challenge it within yourself that are getting in the way of you asking for what you need um, and asserting yourself. Oh, that's so good, Morgan. That's that's like what are the stories we're telling ourselves and can we sit with ourselves and recognize what some of those stories or mantras or scripts are that we play out over and over and can we challenge them? I'm thinking even if you feel so knee deep, if you're listening and you're like, I am so knee deep, I don't even know how to unravel. I mean, this is what a, a trained therapist can help you do too, or a coach like Morgan, where, you, where you're just really kind of unraveling a little bit to get, get started. So that might be a, an idea, idea for you because you may be listening and going, I don't even know where to start. But change is possible. And usually it's in increments. Yeah, I think so. This is a process and I it, it was a process getting to this point of overwhelm and it's a process getting out of it. I mean, I think 
So let's say somebody's kind of in that space that you're talking about where they're super overwhelmed and they feel like they're drowning. Um, Step one can be a number of things to kind of ease that relief. Step one can be sitting down with their partner and just saying, like maybe you're not ready to have the big conversation, right? Redelegate, but sitting down and saying, there are a few things I need to get some help with. So having that kind of conversation, just almost like a critical care conversation, right? Where it's like, I'm going to lose it. And the, the second is if you can't even have that conversation, just start writing some things down, I think, and getting them out of your head. If you're like, my partner is not here or my partner's not going to do anything right now or it's just not a good time for them to jump in, sometimes writing things down, getting them out of your head, getting them on paper frees up a little bit of space to catch your breath. I always say, you know, things in the dark tend to cause guilt and shame, right? And then when we get them into the light and recognize you know, what they are exactly. It's not easy to, to barf it all up, right? Or even to ask for help, right? However, this is a healthy, these are healthy steps to take for you, your own self, your own person, and then for your relationship. I have a saying is what you can define, you can dominate. I think that there's, I mean, this is the whole idea behind insight and therapy, right? How is insight helpful? Because when you can define an experience, then you can do something about it. I love it. And giving language to that, I, I just think it's 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 beautiful. I would love the listeners to hear a little bit about how they could find you and your work in the world. Would you share that before we wrap up with our pleasure practice? You can find me on Instagram. That's where I show up most often. I do series on different relationship topics. So they last anywhere from a week to two weeks. Um, and my handle is my love thinks. And then we have a blog, mylovethinks.com. Um, so there's lots of free content and resources on there. And then I actually have worked with my dad, who's in the same profession for over... 13 years he has a company called love thinks and we have lots of online courses mental load a course for couples for dating if you're single and dating and how to be intentional around that so all of that can be found through mylovethinks.com wonderful on this podcast we have a pleasure practice where we are trying to really stop and notice and pay attention to what delights us day-to-day, what what just brings us pleasure day-to-day. Do you have something that you might share that just delights you? There's a lot of things. Um, Yesterday, uh, we went, my kids and I went to the park and I, this has never happened in my entire time as a mother, Um, but I got to sit in a chair and watch them play in this like little fake river and I got to read a book and that brought me so much pleasure. (laughs) Because I was like, did I just arrive at a new place in mothering? I don't think it will last, but that was my pleasure yesterday. And it's wonderful to recognize that and acknowledge that to yourself and say, I really enjoyed that. Oh, I love hearing that because I want to encourage you, you know, as a as an older woman to seek to replicate that kind of thing in your life because young moms have busy, busy lives. So, oh, thank you so much for being with us, Morgan. I hope you all will check her out. She gives such practical tips and conversation starters on her IG. And um, I I think you'll enjoy following along with her. She's prompting you if you are on social media. So thanks for being with us, Morgan. Thank you for having me. Such a fun time talking with you. Thank you. 
And community, this is a big piece of the mental puzzle of learning to recognize the things that weigh into our brains and our minds and and steps to move forward to really increasing our desire and pleasure in general, not just in our sexual health. It's learning how to manage our minds. When we manage our minds, we do really learn to give ourselves more permission for pleasure.